You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Excited to speak with you today, share a little bit of thought, uh, a little bit of rant action. So I know a few weeks ago, I had talked about, or, or, or in, the, in the reflection on my marriage week, wedding week, and honeymoon, and then the Jordan Peterson event, I very briefly touched on a couple other events that happened in my life Um back in February. And so one of those was, uh, one of the main ones was this weekend that I got to give two talks. One was at Marion University in Indianapolis. Shout out to the, the Marion fam. Uh, I still love my uh, Marion dad mug. I use it at least twice a week. Uh, so shout out to you guys for that again. And, uh, and then I got to give us a, a talk at Rekindle the Fire, which is a men's conference in Fort Wayne, South Bend. Got to see my boy, uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, a uh, close friend of Alessandro DeSanto, close friend of Hallow. And so um, that was really cool. But I think one thing that was really cool about the talk there, oh, and I'm repping my, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I got my Hallow team swag on. You see the little Herald action. We got some new team swag, and it is absolutely fire. Again, if you haven't tried Hallow, you need to. Um, if, you, if you have tried Hallow, one thing I really recommend within Hallow, this is just a quick Hallow shout out, is uh, the Daily Reflections with Jeff Cavins and John Thurumi on your way to Mass. So that's something that Emily and I do. I do it alone if I'm driving alone to, to Daily Mass and stuff, but really encourage that. And then the examine at the end of the day or before uh, you know the um, uh, examination of conscience before confession, but the examine on a daily basis, really, really powerful stuff. So I want to encourage you to, to try that if you haven't yet. Um, I know I generally just recommend hallow but i want you to recommend some more specific things within it if you haven't tried those yet um and if you're looking for a link or extended free trial hit your boy up so at this rekindle the fire men's conference had a great time uh the guys there the, this organization are great there's about a thousand men i think i mentioned this a few weeks ago but i think it was the best talk i've ever given the the one on thursday night was more of a speech which i am going to release at some point i'm going to record it and release it um and then I'm going to try to get to rekindle the fire talk as well. See if I can put that as an episode. I think it was best talk I've ever given. Uh, I got to speak with two other gentlemen uh, where the other two speakers, one was Tim Staples and Tim Staples works for Catholic answers. He gave an incredible talk 
um, on the presence, real presence of the Eucharist. Uh, I'll talk more about Tim in a second. And then I got to, uh, the other speaker, or there was actually two others. Another one was a priest. I can't remember what his name was. He was pretty awesome. Very intense. Very, very intense. And the other guy was Jason Shanks, who works at OSB and does like the OSB Innovation Challenge and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but what was really dope was I got to talk with Tim Staples. We got to hang out that night and like drink a little bit, have dinner together um, with a group of people. It was like a kind of a, an after party for all the volunteers and the people who put the whole thing on. And Tim was really powerful for me that night because, and I, I think I, I gave a brief overview of this before. He was the most conservative person I've ever heard so ardently defend Pope Francis. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about Pope Francis. We're going to talk about a couple of different books that I've read slash am reading and just kind of the mindset around uh, Vatican II and things like that. Uh, Vatican II, papal authority, um, and then just some like trends and stuff that I've seen on the internet amongst Catholics, right? So that's kind of the overview of today's episode. Um, if you're not one to be like interested in church politics, I wouldn't say I'm like a diehard. I'm definitely more engaged with American politics than I am church politics, but I do think they're both really interesting, uh, have a good number of similarities. Um, and just to, just to be totally clear, like all of this is my opinion. There's going to be some stuff that's going to be fact as I quote this book, these books and stuff like that. Um, but I really just want to hopefully expand everyone's mind, whether you find yourself, I don't think it's so hard within the church to say like left or right, orthodox or unorthodox, conservative or liberal. Uh, but wherever you find yourself, whatever you want to name the spectrum, wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, I hope that I can help you to bring, bring you a little bit more center. I remember talking, uh, one of my favorite interviews, I've referenced it many times, I'm sure, is the interview between Dave Rubin and Larry Elder. They've, they've done it like four times now, so you got to be like pretty specific if you're looking it up. I'll try to uh, remember to link it. I say that all the time, and then I forget what I said that I was going to link. Um, but I will, I will genuinely give it my best effort to remember to do it if I don't hit me up um, for that link. But it's an interview. It's the one from 2015, so it's like seven years ago. I think it's from 2015. It's five or seven years ago. It's either 15 or 17. And uh, they both kind of start off with the goal of bringing the other closer to the center. And one thing that uh, Larry says, he's like, I, I doubt that that'll happen for me. He's like, because you're probably not going to say anything that I haven't heard before, but I'm sure I have some facts and statistics and ways of thinking that you and your audience haven't heard before being at that time that Dave Rubin was still um, a Democrat and like pretty hard on the left. Um, and I don't know that, I mean, I might say some things that you haven't heard before. I don't know. A lot of this was really new to me. Um, now, I've been thinking about this for a few years, you know, my stance on Pope Francis, whether he's good or bad for the church, you know, hearing people discuss whether or not he's the actual Pope, um, learning all these different things about Vatican II, right? Like, it's really interesting stuff. Um, but I do think we have to be cautious uh, as, we, as we go through this, right? Because one of the things that just recently clicked for me online was I was watching uh, an interview between Matt Fratt and Ralph Martin, also recommend. They've done a couple as well, and so it's the most recent one. And they were kind of talking about some of these characters that I'm going to bring up to you today, like Dr. Taylor Marshall, right? So I have his book here, Infiltration. I do encourage you to read it. 
Uh, I know a lot of people are very negative on Taylor Marshall. I'm going to share my thoughts on him and other topics today as well. Um, and it's interesting. So there's there's him and a few other uh, voices that are on the uh, very trad side. So if you're new to Catholicism or you're new to some of these like church lingo and things like that, I'm going to use the word trad, which means traditional Catholics, which typically means people who almost exclusively, if not exclusively, attend the traditional Latin mass. And so uh, in Vatican II, between 1962 and 1965, uh, Pope John Paul XXIII finished by Pope Paul VI. They convened all the bishops of the world, and they basically changed a good number of things, to put it simply, within the church. Um, and one of those things was the way the mass was said. And so that's when priests turned around, it started being done in the vernacular, which means the local language, um, and a lot of other changes, right? And so th- there, there were, you know, small factions that were allowed to continue to say the, the mass in Latin, which had been done, from my understanding, for about a thousand years at that point. Um, maybe it's a little bit longer than that, maybe a little short, I don't know the exact date. But for a long time, undeniably a long time, right? And so that's kind of where that happened. So what I've kind of seen on, on the internet, uh, and what Ralph Martin and Matt Frad were kind of talking about, is this continual movement to... Um, like on in the trads to say that Pope Francis is not the Pope. And for a while there, I thought that it was kind of like a gaslighting type of thing because I had personally never really seen people do that. But just, just so happened that right before this interview, I had seen it and I'd seen it online. I'd seen it on this very popular Catholic account with tens of thousands of followers. And she didn't say it on her own account, which I thought was really interesting. And maybe she has, I don't read every caption she writes, right? She writes long captions and, um, they're usually very intense and somewhat dramatic, not dramatic and being like exaggerated, but just very serious. Um, and I saw her commenting on uh, this other, like <laughs> very, very trad, very critical Pope Francis account that I ended up unfollowing that day, um, saying that Pope Francis isn't the actual Pope and kind of going on like some of her reasonings and things like that. And one thing that really stuck out to me within her reasoning was, that she's come to this conclusion through very, uh, for, through a lot of prayer and discernment, which is what leads me to what I thought was really profound that Ralph Martin said to Matt Fratt on this podcast episode when he was talking about some of these trads who deny uh, Pope Francis being the legitimate Pope. And that was that he brought up what's known as Pascal's Wager. And so I learned about Pascal's Wager back when I was in college uh, studying philosophy. And Pascal's Wager basically is the most uh, blunt and I wouldn't say most ineffective, but one of the most ineffective ways to like evangelize people. And Pascal's Wager is basically like, well, look at it as, as a bet, right? Like, look at this is this is separate from the way he applied it to the situation with the trash. But I'm going to explain Pascal's Wagers first. Wager. And so it's he's like, look at it as a bet, right? Whether you believe in God or not, whether you become a Christian or not. He's like, if you're wrong if I'm wrong, let's say, let's say the Christian speaking as the Christian, if I'm wrong um, and nothing happens after death, great. You know, nothing happens. We just die and that's it. And life is over. And he's like, but if you're wrong, speaking to the non-Christian and I'm right. And you decide to not put your faith in Christ and to not be a Christian, not be baptized, not believe in God, then you suffer internal damnation. Right. So it's kind of like this, on one side, you have nothing to lose by being wrong. On the other, you have a lot to lose, right? Eternal suffering. 
And so it's kind of like this very logical, there's no heart involved, right? That's why it's not really like, it doesn't really lead to conversion, but it can lead you to being like, it's worth looking into, I think. You know, I think there's some validity to it. There's some power to that uh, that strong logic there. Um, but we, we typically don't recommend leading with that in evangelization, right? It's not why you want people to follow Christ. Uh, just because it's like, well, it just seems like a safer bet, right? Even though that's why a good number of people are in the pews on Sunday, but that's a song for another time. And so um, how Pascal's wager applies to this situation is he's like, listen, he's like, let's say... Let's say I'm wrong, right? And you're right. And Pope Francis is not the true Pope. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. God's not going to, God is, it's, at least it's very, very unlikely that God's picking you this random lay woman or lay man, or even like priest, right? Like local priest to be the one that like figures it out and makes the change at the Vatican, right? Like, what are we going to do about it? Um, but he's like, but if, but if you're wrong, you're doing incredible damage to the church. So, so that's, that's kind of the thing. It's like on one side, like, even if you're right, and Pope Francis is not the true Pope, like, like Christ, <laughs> what, what we kind of forget about, and this is what I'm really excited to get into with this, this new book that I'm reading, is like Christ guides the church. And like we sometimes on both sides tend to forget this. They're like, we are literally, we literally believe as Catholics that we are the body of Christ on earth, right? We are the extension, like Christ is the head, we are his body. We believe that the Catholic church is infallible. The Catholic church has authority to speak on behalf of Christ here on earth. The vicar of Christ can speak on behalf of Christ. We believe that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit, the gates of hell will never rise against it, etc. And yet, we somehow like take on this responsibility as individuals that we can discern and we can figure out that, you know, Pope Francis is not the true Pope. We can figure out that he's wrong and he's a heretic and he's all these different things. And it's like, dude, you're not responsible for that. Like of the number of things, you know, especially when I talk about like, especially here, right. Especially within seeking excellence, the number of things you're responsible for as a human being, there's no way that you can be great at all of them because it just takes too much time, energy, and focus to even learn about them. Uh, to to put the effort towards growing in them, it's extremely difficult. And that's the fun of it, right? Is that you always have more to do. There's always growth to be done. But to pour tons of effort, time, and energy into figuring out something that's so far out of your realm of responsibility really doesn't make a lot of sense. And people get really, really worked up about this. So that in and of itself, right? You know, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about you have your circle of, oh, what's he call it? Circle of influence and circle of, um, man, he's kind of, kind of got like these two circles, right? There's a circle of influence and like a circle of awareness or something like that. That's not the right word, but I'll have to look it up later because I don't feel like I'm looking it up now. But either way, one of the circles is what you can actually control. And the other is things that are impacting your life or you're aware of or that you know about, right? But you have no control over. And so this is the same thing as like, it's a very Jordan Peterson-esque thing as well, right? Like clean your room before you criticize the world. Like put your, put your shit together before you get out there and start criticizing everything else that's outside of your control. And there's times for that, right? There's times to speak out against, like I can't control and stop abortion, but it's still worth it to speak out against it. Um, but we know for a fact, an undeniable fact, 
objectively speaking, both from the church and from reason, that abortion is evil. It's a lot murkier to say that Pope Francis isn't the Pope. And that is a schismatic statement. If you are wrong, as this other book that I'm going to talk about today, What Went Wrong with Vatican II, sorry, there's a glare um, if you're watching on YouTube. What Went Wrong with Vatican II by Ralph uh, McInerney is how I'm going to say his name. And I hope that that's right. I'm sorry, Ralph, if you're out there listening. I don't know that Ralph is still alive. I hope that he is. Um, but I should have researched that before I started talking about it. Um, but the the uh, subtitle is The Catholic Crisis Explained. Like he, he has a great quote in there. Um, I'm actually going to I'm going to find it and read it because it's actually not that long ago from where I just stopped reading um, where he says. Um, one second, I'm going to find it. Boom. OK, so here it is. He says, this is a quote from uh, the editor of Triumph magazine, Brent Bozell, maintained that any Catholic who does not accept the encyclical denies the Pope, denies the church, and denies Christ, and he, because he is not so much denying truth as authority. Now, that is referring to Humanae Vitae, released in 1968 by Pope Paul VI, which I'm going to get into a little bit later. Um, but even if you just take out the line about the encyclical, denies the Pope, denies the church, denies Christ, like... If you're, this is what Ralph Barton was saying. He's like, he's like, okay, if you're right, you still have no responsibility over changing it. There's nothing you can do about it. If you're wrong, you're doing immense damage to the church, especially if you have a platform or any influence. I mean, this person has kids and and they have friends and they're they're sharing this thought and this viewpoint. And it's like, I get it. Like I get frustrated with Pope Francis and I've been extremely frustrated with Pope Francis. I think we've all been frustrated with Pope Francis at different points. He's I, I one thing I always say about him that I respect about him is he's willing to piss off both sides because he is. And that was something that I think Tim Staples, uh, Tim Staples, former Marine Catholic convert, great conversion story, also has a really great podcast with uh, Matt Frad. If you ever look up those two names on YouTube um, or wherever you listen to podcasts about Mary and why you why we pray to Mary, it was like the best explanation of all the objections to Mary that I've ever heard. But this is what Tim Staples was saying is Tim Staples basically argued that Pope Francis, similar to Donald Trump, just had terrible PR, right? Terrible public relations like his 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 uh, his reality versus what was projected to the world were very different, are very different for Pope Francis. We're very different for Trump. And, and Trump, obviously, like in and of himself, like has his own issues. I, as I've said a million times, I don't want him to run again. He's a very flawed man. We all know this. But nonetheless, like the media, the twisting of those words, the, the snipping out of, of small quotes of his and using them out of context um, happens to Pope Francis a lot as well. And one thing Tim Staples, if Tim Staples convinced me of anything, it was this. Uh, and I'm going to give some context to this before I say it. One thing that always shocked me, especially after reading Infiltration by Dr. Taylor Marshall, he has a lot of quotes and like cited facts of and timelines of things that happened during other pope uh during other uh papacies i don't know papal like administrations pap- papacies let's say that sorry i know that those who are like more theologically trained are probably cringing at my verbiage but um under other popes he talks about you know from john the 23rd to paul the 6th to saint john paul the 2nd um Oh, and, and a lot of trads will also deny that 
uh, John Paul II and John XXIII are saints too, which is a a bold maneuver. Um, anyways, he'll, he'll talk about a lot of the, the bad things that happened under the papacies. And one thing I've struggled with in the past, and I've talked to a lot of friends and, and people about, not a lot of friends, but I've talked to several people about this before as well, is there seemed to be, especially around JP2, I feel like everybody kind of lived in the extremes with this guy. And I see something semi-similar to Pope Francis, and I think it will be really true after Pope Francis is, is dead and gone. But around regarding JP2, it was like everybody I knew either like thought that this man was literally like the most perfect human being ever, right? Like just the greatest Pope of all time. Or you had the trads on the other extreme that thought that he wasn't deserving to be a saint, that he was awful, corrupt, infiltration, you know, all this other stuff. And if there's uh, going back to my statement, if there's one thing that Tim Staples taught me during that time, it was that Pope Francis is very similar to the other three that came before them in that he's done some stuff really well and he's got weaknesses and has done some stuff really poorly. Now, if you, if you to go back on the Taylor, Dr. Marshall, if you read infiltration, it is not an inspiring read. There's some dark shit in here, right? It's not uplifting. It's not inspiring. And it's not really meant to be. So I'm not mad at him for that, right? The, the subtitle is The Plot to Destroy the Church from Within, right? Like he, he wrote it to expose some of the things that have happened in the Vatican, in the church. And it's good to know that there's a point in your life where you need to have the reality that things aren't perfect. However, my frustration with him, and I was kind of laughing because I watched a video of his last week where he was criticizing Pope Francis per usual. Um, and, and I just like couldn't get over this one thing that happened. Okay, so yeah, so the thing that he's done that was really funny was he uh, <laughs> he was talking at the end of the episode about, like, and he does this, and I think he kind of does it at the end of the book. Where it's like, we still have to be optimistic. We used to be hopeful, right? Where it was in Easter, the Easter octave that he was recording this video and put it out. And that was when I listened to it. And he was talking about like living the joy of the Easter season. Now, when I love dry humor because I'm really bad at it. And so I think it's really funny when people are like being funny, but their face is really serious. And he wasn't trying to be funny, but he was talking about the need to be joyful. And when I tell you, this man didn't so much as like half crack a smile while encouraging us all to be joyful. It's an understatement, dude. Like, and that's the thing that gets me with so many trads and so many of my trad friends. And I love them to death. I love several of them to death, but they're so often a very similar type of person. And I wouldn't say that they're not, none of them are joyful but they are typically like melancholic, like joy, happiness, like outgoing, you know, like social things is typically lower on their priority list. And I'm not saying that being trad is just a personality trait, but I do think that there is a certain type of person that's more likely to gravitate towards that. They're typically more logical than emotional. Um, they're typically more melancholic than they are sanguine. I don't know if I know any sanguine trads, um, but and that's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for being their personality type. We're all are what we are, but there can be a certain 
uh, and we all do this, uh, lack of appreciation for other people's types of personalities and the things that they value because they're different than us. And I think that that happens sometimes within trads when they're talking about, you know, like, like the, the joke is always like trad parishes, like never have narthexes or gathering spaces, right? Like there's never like donuts after mass or any, cause it's just like, well, you don't need that. We just have the Eucharist. It's like, okay. But like <laughs> most people like community, most people like to like meet people like, sure. Like let's not do the sign of peace. I'm all for that. But like most people like friends and stuff, you know, and there's certain people who are like, okay with, with not having that, but I wouldn't say that we've like forced that upon humanity and say it's like sinful to desire that. Right. And so I think that that's one of the things that gets me. And like these spokespersons who are typically the faces of the trad movement are, are such great examples of that. I mean, even I remember watching in this and Cardinal Sarah, I think, or Sarah, I don't know how you say his name. Everybody says it different. I'm going to say Cardinal Sarah for today. Even though I switch, I switch every time I say his name, I say it different. Cardinal Sarah, I read uh, recently the, um, the Power of Silence, right? Really enjoyed it. I think he's great. I really appreciate a lot of the work that he does within the church. I remember somebody, it was like on a Black Catholic uh, Facebook group or something. And they were talking about kind of comparing him to Wilton Gregory, Cardinal uh, Gregory out of D.C. And somebody was like, oh, I've met both of them. Um, and, he, and the person was like, Cardinal Seurat is definitely the deeper, like, theological mind. But Cardinal Gregory definitely is a better example of Christian joy. And I think on both sides, this is, what, this is where you constantly find me in the middle. And I shift back and forth on which side I am in the middle, typically more on the, the trad side. Uh, because like unorthodox liturgy, like I think there's no excuse for it. And so that really drives me nuts. And that's typically found on the, let's call it the left side. Um, uh, because people on that side typically do identify more politically on the left. So just to have some clarity, I'll, I'll call them the left and the right, even though I think it's somewhat insufficient. And I don't think that it identically mirrors uh, where people's political stances are. But nevertheless, dude, like people, like the trads, so like if you read that, right? So if you look at like Cardinal Sarah and Cardinal Gregory, you're like, oh, one's a greater theological mind and one's an example of Christian, a greater example of Christian joy. Both sides look at the other like their strength is irrelevant. <laughs> that drives me absolutely crazy. Dude, when St. Paul lists the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, mind you, who is the third person of the most holy trinity, right? Like I'm not talking about some like random thing or some random signs of happiness or signs of a better life or some mental health exerciser. I'm talking about the second fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to St. Paul, is joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When those things seem to be lacking from an entire community, despite the fact that that community as I've read on this podcast before, has incredible statistics of being pro-life, has incredible statistics of not using contraception, has incredible statistics of not, uh, or, or, or for believing in the true presence of the Eucharist. Undeniable. When you're missing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, as many, not all of them, because I do think they get a bad rap in this. I think it's always like, all of them are so unhappy. It's like, not all of them, but guys, I've been around you a lot. I've been around a good number of you. You're usually pissed off. You're usually negative. It's just, it's, it's the fact. It's a mother loving fact. I've been around a good number of them and I tried to deny it for a long time and be like, well, I know some, you know, I have some friends, like I said, dear friends of mine, 
close friends and I love them and I love being around most of them. Some of them drive me crazy sometimes where they get on this negative train of thought and they can't get off. Of it. And that's not fun. And people don't like that. And it's not appealing. And obviously there's truth that's unappealing to, to the Christian. But, but Christ, Christ played with children. Like he was fun. I, I, I can't imagine that he was just this pissed off dude roaming around healing people with a scowl. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I legitimately can't understand how people can't allow for both love and truth, joy and, 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 and uh, allegiance to the magisterium, allegiance to the church teaching. We can have both of those things. Because on the other side, you have this utter like, uh, just like denial of truth or just like, just do whatever you want. God loves you the way that you are. Just, just be happy. Be who, God, be who you are. Follow any inclination that you have. The left side of the church wants to bless same-sex unions and all these things that are explicitly prohibited by the church. And then my other, like my other beef at a certain point with the tracks too, because I feel like going back to like the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Eucharist or the, the Holy Trinity, excuse me. Third person of the Trinity, dude, like trads typically will hate what is called the uh, charismatic revival, right? Charismatic renewal, whatever it's called, charismatic stuff. So this is typically your like praise and worship music, healing services, things of that nature. Now, I've met people. We've had I had a great episode with uh, Grayson Dahl. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. He's got some crazy, awesome stories. I've heard stories from him. I've heard stories from Father Jonathan Meyer, from Father Chase, from many other great Catholics that I know and trust and believe who have witnessed some pretty incredible healings. We have incredible healings at Lourdes. Somehow, I feel like trads believe that like we can still have healings at Lourdes, but but like charismatic stuff where people get healed and and, and moved by the Holy Spirit and convicted by the Holy Spirit in ways that are different than they experience are all bullshit to them. And they, they don't believe in any of it. And they think that it's all wrong because it's not Gregorian chanted. It's not serious enough. It's not like a legion enough to pre-Vatican II church. And I, le- I legitimately cannot understand that. Like, like it's in scripture where the apostles are healing people, where Jesus tells the apostles, the disciples, you will go on to do greater things than these you've seen me do. And Protestants, I think, really have an understanding of that. And they truly believe that like, we can have miracles and like God will move mountains, but there seems to be this like pessimism amongst a lot of trads that I've experienced that like, don't believe any of that's true or real. And I don't get it. Okay. Now on the other side, like I've said before, this desire, as you see the German bishops blessing same-sex unions, straight up apostasy and the thing, and, and, and many other things, right? There's, there's new ways ministry online. There's other Catholic accounts on there. I hesitate to even call them Catholic because they're objectively not. Because they deny church teaching on things like contraception, abortion, same-sex marriage, um, and a number of other things. And to me, what these books have really shown me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring back up the What Went Wrong with Vatican II one. What these books have really shown me is that both sides have done this. And that's why I want to talk to you today. I have two specific female Catholic Instagram accounts in mind. 
as I say this. And one is very much on the left and one is very much on the right. And I think both of them are schismatic. Because both of them, one denies that the Pope is the Pope. The other denies that same-sex marriage, or you can't even call it, I mean, it's not even a thing. Same-sex unions, or same-sex acts, homosexual acts of, you know, sexual acts are not a sin. Both of those are objectively against church teaching. I think one of the great examples that really kind of puts both of these books together, um, you know, juxtaposes them really well, is that in Infiltration, now I didn't go back and read all the sections on Paul VI, but I remember finishing the book and being like, wow, he really sucked, right? I don't think there's a lot of uh, admiration or praise for anything he did, which, like I said, maybe it's true that Pope Paul VI, John Paul II, John XXIII, Pope Francis are all awful. Right, that is in the realm of possibility of human possibility, right? Um, but what I what I think, like again, going back to what I said, Tim Staples taught me, what I think is not fair is to, you know, magnify the greatness of a couple of them and then hate on the others. Trads just, just disregard all of them, so I guess I can at least applaud them on their consistency. But I think you also have a challenge if you hate every pope of the last hundred fifty years. Like that's probably. A dangerous, a dangerous take. Let's put it that way. So what is interesting here, so Humanae Vitae, as I've mentioned before, came out, it was an encyclical, which is basically a letter sent to all the bishops that explains um, different degreeing levels of church teaching, right? Like there's some who say, you know, that the Pope very, very rarely speaks infallibly. We have this term infallible for the, the Pope. Um, it doesn't mean that the Pope never makes mistakes or the Pope is always right, but it means that when the Pope speaks on behalf of the church with authority, that he cannot be flawed. Right. And so, um, this is really interesting because, uh, as, as, uh, as Ralph McInerney, I'm gonna call him Ralph so that I don't butcher his last name. If I am saying it wrong too often, one thing Ralph really hits on is that in Vatican II, in Vatican II, they very explicitly state that the bishops only have authority so far as they are in alignment with the Holy Father, that is the Pope. And so that's really interesting, right? You only have authority if you're in alignment with the Pope. And then three years after it ended, <laughs> the Pope comes out with Humanae Vitae. One of the core messages of Humanae Vitae in 1968 was um, around the, stance, the church's stance on contraception. Uh, John the 23rd had two options basically when he was Pope. He died in 1963, if I'm not mistaken. Before there was four sessions, I think. Yeah, four sessions of, of Vatican II, 62, 63, 64, 65. He died after the first one. Um, Pope Paul VI carried it on. But during that, at the beginning, they knew contraception was going to be a hot topic. And so he had basically two options. He could kind of like delegate the decision down to the bishops. Um, as the bishops were forming Vatican II, or he could create like a special council commission to research and present to him. And then he could be the final decision maker. And so he did the latter. Since he passed away, Paul VI had the same, uh, Pope Paul VI had the same option, chose the same, uh, the same choice, right? 
So he takes in all this information, the commission's presenting to him. Now, the the word is that the majority of the people on the commission were actually pro-contraception. Pope Paul VI comes out with Humana Vitae, and he's against it. St. John Paul II was also against it at that time, from my understanding. Now, here, this is what's so interesting to me. (laughs) And this is why I don't know how you're anywhere but in the middle-ish, right? Center-right. Taylor Marshall in Infiltration dogs Paul VI. Makes it seem like he's super left. In What Went Wrong with Vatican II by Ralph here, you hear how much similar to Pope Francis in certain ways, Pope Paul VI, especially with Humanae Vitae, infuriated the left. Bishops, priests, lay theologians around the world said that he was utterly wrong. Year, this is three years after Vatican II, where they came out and said that, like, almost clarified and emphasized the necessity for Catholics, especially the clergy, to remain faithful to papal teaching. And all these people are denying it. Now, he came out, this was, this was massive, right? People like popes, or not popes, bishops, priests were encouraging people ahead of, ahead of this being released to just start using contraception because they were that confident that he was going to change the church's stance on it. Now, if you know anything about the dangers, the extreme dangers of taking contraception in 2022, if you don't, I encourage you, there's several accounts I can link to. I really want to do a podcast on it. It seems like a weird topic, but I'm just so interested in it. Um, but it's extremely dangerous. It, it just, it literally, it's extraordinarily unnatural, right? Like you're literally suppressing the reproduction system. We've seen an increase in miscarriages. There's increased all kinds of hormonal and, and bodily issues among women um, since the, this extreme rise of contraception use uh, within the church and in the world. But can you imagine how epic dangerous it was 60 years ago? I'm like, you have all these, these Protestant or like, Secular accounts now, women speaking out against all this nonsense, all this like these these chemicals that you're putting in your body when you take contraception and literally stymie and, and like stifle the natural process that a woman's body goes through for reproduction, which is natural and healthy and good. Um, it's like, can you imagine how dangerous it was 60 years ago? It's unreal. And all these posts, and like that's just like on the practical, like scientific side of it. Um, it's not even like appealing to reason or, I mean, it's appealing to some reason, but, uh, not even appealing to like morality too much. Anyway, Pope Paul VI comes out, pisses everybody off. And so you have these like few faithful people who are like, you guys, you, you have to, like, you have to adhere to this. But what I think is really interesting and what I've learned reading this book, so I read like 85 pages last night. I was loving it. What's so interesting to me, let me see if I can find the exact quote about this. Yeah, so here it is. So there's two quotes I want to go back and forth to. Um, But this one is really interesting because you hear this a lot nowadays, but now you hear it from the right. And this is is where I get the most fun when you learn more. And this is why you got to read both sides because you really get to see how both sides get to be so full of shit in American politics. When you read both sides, you learn more about the history of the U.S. So like I had this same kind of like experience when it comes to Ronald Reagan. I feel like Ronald Reagan is the JP two of the political right in the, in the United States, where it's like, you either have people 
on the left who absolutely despise him or on the right where he's like, he should be a canonized saint. Like he was a God among men. He was perfect. And you watch a movie like 13th, right on. If you've ever seen that on Netflix, there's some solid woke bullshit in that movie, but, and especially the last like 10 minutes are just like this hate Trumpathon, which is so weird and like unnecessary (laughs) out of place. But the majority of it, I think, they're like somewhat unbiased and criticize Democrats and Republicans over the last hundred years and really show some absurd objective increases in the prison population in the U S as it became capitalistic and privately owned. And it's like, that's a problem. Like there's an objective issue with this. Um, And I do think we need criminal justice reform because of that. But you get to see through movies like that or reading books on both sides, like, They'll point out like your side is not undefeated, right? And that's what I think is is the issue that we all have is there's this pride that comes about where it's like, well, my side is, you know, we're the good side. We've always been the good side. It's like, well, maybe not, you know, you can trace the Republican Party to some great roots back to Abraham Lincoln and, 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 you know, but you like we need to recognize that there's been flaws and issues and try to like weed those out. And the problem I think that happens a lot of times in the, in the Republican Party and conservative politics in the U.S. is that the people who are trying to like reform the Republican Party, the only people who are willing to do it are the progressives within the Republican Party. The liberals who come in, the libertarians who come in, they're like, we can be Republican and pro-LGBT uh, and all these other things. And it's like, well, how is that conservative? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you, can be, you can be Republican and, and pro uh gay couples adopting kids. And it's like, what's conservative about that? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but here is one that I think is really interesting when it comes to church politics. So there's this letter that the president, <laughs> the former president of CUA, Catholic University of America wrote. He was a priest and got like 200 signatures on from different theologians and priests and things like that at the time. And there's this quote from the letter where it says, it is common teaching in the church that Catholics may dissent from authoritative, non-infallible teachings of the magisterium when sufficient reasons for doing so exist. Therefore, as Roman Catholic theologians, we, conscious of our duty and our limitations, we conclude that spouses may responsibly decide according to their conscience that artificial contraception in some circumstances is permissible and indeed necessary to preserve and foster the values and sacredness of marriage. Now, this, I think, is really, really intriguing. Because what side do you hear that from today? That says, you know, we can, we can deny uh, the Pope's teachings on certain things because he wasn't speaking ex cathedra and he wasn't being specifically authoritative. And we don't have to agree with everything he says. Now, most of Pope Francis' shitty comments, from my understanding, um, or I shouldn't say shitty comments of the Pope. I'm sorry. I take that back. Let me retract that. Most of Pope Francis's blunders, from my understanding, come from quotations that are interpreted multiple times over, taken from interviews when he's on a plane or he's in passing, things like that. When the Pope actually sits down and specifically writes things, that carries a lot more authority than when he's just especially when he's formed a commission and has discerned it for years, much more authority than when he's just speaking offhand to a reporter, speaking different languages, 
and then it's interpreted into other languages and portrayed by the American media. So a great example of this, I just Googled two things, right? Because there's two big uh, moments last year within Pope Fran- with Pope Francis, and I can't remember what the name of the one where he kind of cracked down on, and I can't find the name of it. I see articles about it. Um, yeah, I mean, this one says, you know, Traditionis Custodis, but I know there was something else. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I did a whole episode on it with a friend of mine. And there was where there was the one where he he cracked down on the trads, um, on like limiting the the traditional Latin mass. And then there was the other one where he spoke out, and I can't find the actual name about this one either. Where the Pope spoke out and said that priests cannot play, uh, bless same sex um, unions. So what's interesting, you know, Pope Francis, I'm reading this National Catholic uh, Register article that starts out, Pope Francis, who made headlines in the first months of his papacy by responding, who am I to judge when asked about gay priests, has now signed off on a Vatican decree that priests cannot blame same-sex unions. Now, again, is responding, who am I to judge? It was an interview, a spoken word, it was passing. He actually came out with written documents that said, we cannot bless same-sex unions, you cannot bless sin. He's come out and said at different points, as some Tim Staples pointed out, about transgenderism and called it demonic. Um, he's had some pretty strong points. And this is this is what I think is interesting, right? So this was March 15th, 2021, and he cracked down on the trads. This article from the uh, NCR is in December. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, he pissed both sides off. And he does this, and then it's like everybody hates him. Um, <laughs> and he can't win with anyone because he can't stop pissing both sides off. Now, what I thought was really interesting, this is going to be like a two-hour episode, man. Holy cow. So what I remember when he came out, uh, I don't think it was when he cracked down on the trads. There was another point where he had some other blunder about uh, same-sex attractions or um, something else. That Matt Frad really came out and really spoke to my heart, too, and what he said this and represented how I felt at the time where he was like, we really do keep gaslighting the trads when it comes to Pope Francis, because he's definitely saying some things that are troubling. Um, Oh, I think it was the one where it was in some documentary, right? Where he was like saying that it was a good thing that, um, oh, this was good. In Argentina, I think it was in his home country, Argentina, they had passed some like civil unions law for homosexuals. And uh, dude, people went nuts, right? And what you had is you had some clergy that were coming out and they were like, you don't understand. Like, I remember there was Father, uh, is it Augustino? I can't remember, but some Spanish speaking priest that came out and he was like, I listened to the actual words. And I'm telling you, he's being misquoted. And what's interesting about that is if you, when I Googled these two things, trying, I didn't know the name of them. So I Googled like Pope Francis cracking down on traditional Latin mass and Pope Francis saying you can't bless same sex unions right? Can't bless sin. The former cracking down on traditional Latin mass only came up with Catholic articles. The latter, I couldn't find a Catholic article. I had to Google that plus NCR in order to find the actual Catholic article on it because all the articles that came up were ABC news, NBC, all right. CBS. So anytime, again, this kind of goes back to the Pope Francis thing. This almost reminded me the Argentinian civil unions one, unless I'm totally wrong on this, which is possible. 
almost reminded me of President Trump's um, there was good people on both sides. The quote from Charlottesville was taken totally out of context. If you read the entire thing, you can tell that he's talking about good people being on both sides, meaning there was people who are protesting peacefully for the statues of, of uh, Civil War uh, leaders from the um, uh, Confederate Army to stay up. And there's people who are protesting for them to come down. He said there's good people on both sides. And then on top of it, he names a third category of the evil people, the racists, the neo-Nazis who came and started the violence. In a similar way, the Spanish priests who speak Spanish and read the actual quote or watched the actual documentary said all that Pope Francis said was that gay people deserve to have a family. Even if you have same-sex attraction, like you shouldn't be abandoned by your family. You shouldn't be hated. You shouldn't be uh, you know, excommunicated for having same-sex attraction. That is church teaching. That is what the church teaches. People get so tight about him not just being hateful to people who are LGBT community. Like, if you have the desire to be transgender and don't act on it, if you have the same-sex same desire, same-sex attraction, you're not meant to just be condemned and abandoned by your friends and family and the church. That's not how we roll. You might not like that, but that's that's a church teaching, fam. That's, it is what it is, dog. So, so there's that. Um, and so it's just it's really interesting to me because I think that you see people appealing to that quote that I gave you from the book, right? That it's common teaching that uh, Catholics can reject church teaching um, when there's plenty reason to do so, right? With sufficient reasons for doing so exist. People on both sides, when they have a pope they don't like, or when there's just a pope that's pissing them off at that particular moment, that particular season, they're quick to be like, this is one of those times. And I just think we should be a little less quick to do that. Right? Um, this other quote, going back to the, the homie that was sticking up for him, uh, Brent Bozell from Triumph Magazine. I'm going to read a little bit more of his quote. He said, any priest whose reason is not persuaded by the pope's teaching should pray fervently to be among those whom Christ praised because they have not seen and yet have believed. If they will not do this, they should cease pretending to represent the Catholic Church. Otherwise, they will personally be responsible for widening the schism and increasing scandal. And this, I think, has been the great mark of the church on both sides. Both sides have people who are so entrenched in their own ideology that all they do is increase schism and increase division. And Pope Francis got tired of the trads doing that, which is why he cracked down the traditional Latin mass. Now I do get and understand when people were like, why is he so worked up about the trads and not worked up about the German bishops who are blessing same sex unions and doing all this other stuff. But the only thing I don't understand about that is he did the same thing to both. In 2021, Pope Francis restricted the traditional Latin mass because of people who are causing greater scandal and division within the trads, which do exist. And I don't hear, maybe I don't listen to Taylor Marshall enough, but just like I don't hear Republicans who criticize the, the fake Republicans enough, I don't hear people in the trad community enough speaking against those who are saying that Pope Francis is not the real Pope. It happens sometimes. I'm not saying it never happens, but I don't hear some of these big names. I don't hear them come out and say that that's not right. Instead, they increasingly will call him a heretic, um, saying that he's committing apostasy and things like that. 
Now he put out a document that that limited the traditional Latin mass, right? Because they were causing schism. What did he do to the other side, the German bishops who were blessing same-sex uh, unions? And he was getting all this criticism for allegedly saying that it was good that there were same-sex uh, civil unions in Argentina and all this other stuff. What did he come out and say? He literally put out a written statement and signed it and said, you cannot bless sin. Tim Staples quoted this other this story that he'd heard from another priest or bishop friend of his that he had a gathering of, of many bishops where they brought this up. And one of the questions was about this. And he very angrily and irately said, you cannot bless sin. There is to be no blessing of same-sex unions. And then there's some like off-handed quote on an airplane that people are like, well, he, but then he said this, does Pope Francis speak with, with great clarity? No. Does he cause confusion among the faithful from time to time? Yes. Does everything he do, is everything he does great and perfect and flawless? No. Has any Pope for the last 150 years or ever was, was St. Peter perfect and flawless on, we love and adore St. Peter and he's got some horrible moments. St. Peter at one point, you know, argued with Paul because he didn't even want the Gentiles to hear. Most of us wouldn't even be Catholic if St. Peter didn't get confronted and, and, you know, have some fraternal correction with St. Paul. Now, one thing that I think is really interesting uh, in this next chapter that he kind of goes into, my boy Ralph. Um, he talks about, so this is, I'm going to read this paragraph. Now, what should be made of dissenting theologians that claim, although official church, that is the magisterium, teaches one thing uh, on things like contraception, homosexual activity, other deeds, and other things. There are theologians like him who do not agree and that we must follow our conscience in deciding what we will do in each case. He says, well, that advice can be understood in several ways. The first is to say that your conscience, um, that you might have a conception of conscience according to which if you follow your conscience, you are doing the right thing. Thus, if your conscience tells you that you are, it is all right to practice contraception, engage in homosexual activity, or perform other forbidden deeds, it is all right for you to do so. We hear that oftentimes from the left today, right? But he says the Catholic teaching is different. It says that while each person is obliged to follow his conscience, a person with a wrongly formed conscience may, in following his conscience, perform an evil deed. In such a case, he is responsible for not having properly formed his conscience. As a Catholic, he can have a badly formed conscience only by ignoring the clear and reiterated teaching of the magisterium. Now, that, that like I said, that happens oftentimes on the left. One thing that I think is a great, uh, and that you can't do that, right? <laughs> like before, before I move off that, you, you simply cannot do that. It is simply not an option. You do not have the ability to do that. And these like, on both sides, these like great conspiracy theorist minds that get into this deep, dark rabbit hole. I think the deep, dark rabbit hole exists more on the right. On the left, it's not, it's not deep. It's a shallow it's a shallow skimming of it. Well, I don't like that teaching. And so because my conscience is actually formed by the world, I'm going to reject church teaching. And it's like, oh, okay, go for it. But you're not Catholic. Like he says in here, a Catholic is a papist. If you disagree that, that, that Pope Francis says that you can't bless same-sex unions, you're wrong. That, and that's it. Like period. Like period. That's it. Like you are incorrect. What are your questions? And some people just can't take that. 
I saw another account recently talking, uh, another huge, huge Catholic account talking about something recently. They're talking about the debate on Holy Thursday, whether or not to wash 12 men's feet or whatever. And in the, in the caption, and, and that's a, that's a debate that I think is fun to have. I don't really think it's that important. Um, personally, I, yeah, I prefer 12 men. I don't think it's a necessity, but I can expand upon that. We'll do that next Holy week next year. But in the comments she was talking about, so this person definitely has like very like feminist tendencies and leans towards that and talked about how long it took her to accept that women can't be priests, but how glad she was that there could be female altar servers and things like that. <laughs> women not being priests like that is official, again, official church teaching. It like it blows my mind how we expect we expect, we hear this like 70% of people don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. We expect people to believe and follow the church when we don't do so ourselves. I have this theory. I want to write more about it and think more about it and talk more about it. But like the, if you've heard about like the surrender novena, really powerful prayer. I, I think like I have this, I have this theory almost and this litany of trust as well. I have this theory that kind of has come up in my mind that I'm not like super solidified on yet that it's been so powerful to pray the surrender novena and the litany of trust for our generation because we have decades of Catholic formation that tell you that you can actually just trust and rely on your own conscience, your own will, your own understanding of things more than God, your own ability. And it comes from this stuff. Where people are like, I can just form my conscience on my own. I, I, I've done, I've done the research, and like, it's not comparable to doing the research on like the COVID vaccine, discerning whether or not the Pope is the Pope. That is not the same, but it's the people that are in the same group, right? Like, it's like these QAnon people who are Catholics that come and they like dig deep into these deep dark holes, and they find out all this shit, and they're like, okay, now I, I've got it figured out. And then you have people on the other side who just skim the surface. And they're so formed by the world, by feminism, by, uh, you know, progressivism, by LGBT, gender theory and all this stuff. That they come to the church and they're like, nope, I don't like that. So you're wrong. It's like, you don't get to tell the Pope that. <laughs> Even if you don't like him, you just don't get to. And the sadness, and I think like the ultimate thing as we, as we come to a close here, my friends, is that this, this truly does have effects on your eternal salvation. Right. Like, as, as you heard me say earlier, to reject the Pope, to reject Christ, to reject the church. It's kind of a big deal. Here's the crux of the matter. Ralph says it is unreasonable to demand that each and every Catholic settle this disagreement for himself. In order to do so, you'd have to become a professional philosopher and a professional theologian. Those who accept the advice of dissenting theologians are very unlikely to understand many, if not all, of the arguments they offer on complicated issues such as artificial contraception, homosexual activity, or the ordination of women. Dissenting laymen finally just have to take the dissenting theologian's word that the church's arguments are flawed. So I think we just have to, we have to be more discerning, but I want you to be more open to this. I I hope that today's rant was fruitful in some capacity. Um, I had a really good time just kind of thinking through all that stuff. I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to for this, this round of this. Maybe as I finish the book, I'll do like a second part of it. 
I just, guys, I want you to be thinking about this stuff, right? Because this matters. And, you know, I appreciate the courage that it takes for Pope Paul VI to write Humanae Vitae, the courage that it takes for Pope Francis to come out and say you can't bless same-sex unions. There's so much correlation and similarities between those two of commissions being formed ahead of time, people considering like people because there's commissions being formed to like clarify the church's teachings, people assuming that the church is going to overturn it, that the Pope is going to switch it. And then there's huge outrage once it doesn't happen. And it takes immense courage to be at that level and to be allegiant to the truth, to be allegiant to Christ, allegiance to church teaching. And one of the things that has always gotten me from some of my Orthodox conservative Catholic friends like Tim Staples, like um, a friend of mine, Lewis, is they're like, have you ever read any of Pope Francis' encyclicals? Because he's much more socially conservative than people give him credit for. And most of the time my answer to that is I have not. And that's what I'm going to read next after I finish what went wrong with Vatican II is I'm going to read some of his encyclicals because it's the same thing that he talked about, that Ralph talks about in regards to Humanae Vitae. He's like, most of the people who dissented and disagreed from it did so before they'd even have a chance to read it. He said it was the same day that it came out. The headline was contraception still banned and people made their judgments and they wrote their disagreements towards it without even reading it. And that's where I think therein lies the similarities between Pope Francis and President Trump, who obviously don't get along and like each other. But if you read their actual words, from my understanding, from what I've been convinced of by a lot of people who I trust and know, it's not nearly as bad as what the Taylor Marshall headlines on YouTube will give you, the clickbait on YouTube. And his every podcast title of his is clickbait. And I listen to him every now and then. And I'm talking like once a week. And I listen to the Ralph Martins of the world. I listen to uh, Patrick Coffin and some of these extreme guys. And I read up on what Father James Martin is saying. Um, and I disagree with most of them that I just named, except for Ralph Martin. I really like Ralph Martin. I think he's the best. Because um, Ralph Martin wrote a church in crisis where he wrote, like he said, I think it was like nine chapters on what's wrong and 10 chapters on what we can do about it. Versus infiltration, which is like 250 pages of like, holy shit, this is bad. And so, yeah, pray about it, think about it, discern about it, maybe read some stuff, learn up on what's going on in the church and church politics and uh, continue to learn about it because we're going to be leaders, right? We're going to draw people to Christ. And so in order to do that, you have to form your opinions and, um, and really discern well. And, and ultimately to be Catholic is to be a papist. And I think we have to keep that in mind. So God bless you. Continue to fight hard. Strive to be your best and know of our prayers for you. God bless.